We are at the finale of our paparazzi sermon series and we have been following King David around with our cameras. And today we're gonna to look at one moment from David's life where the whole nation was watching. Now, this is a digital rendering of what the Bible calls the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God. This is the same Ark that Indiana Jones pursued in 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was a chest and inside the chest contained two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron, and a pot of manna, the food from the wilderness wanderings. But more important than what was inside was that this Ark represented the very presence of God among his people. And for 20 years, the Ark was being stored at Abinadab's house. In a time of war and violence, it was safe and protected there. But after King David conquered Jerusalem, the time had come for the Ark of God to be returned to the city of God. Now there were two attempts to bring the Ark to Jerusalem. The first one failed miserably. Okay, that's a story for another time. But the second attempt, get your cameras ready because this will be a star-studded event in the streets of Jerusalem. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Some call the story Paraders of the Lost Ark. The entire nation watched as the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, arrives in Jerusalem. And it is a massive parade slash worship service. On every seventh step, there was a sacrifice. Now this harks back to creation and the Sabbath when God rested on the seventh day. It's inconvenient, it's slow, it's costly, it's not about you. This is an all-day affair. Now, the author focuses his lens on King David here in the middle of the parade. Look at verse 14. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, Michal was the previous king's daughter. She was also one of David's wives. She grew up watching the behavior of a king, and David is certainly not acting like a king. David is not concerned with how he looks. David is passionate about God, he's lost in worship. He wasn't trying to please everyone, he was trying to please an audience of one. Now, King David was lost in the worship of his God. And what does that mean to worship? To praise. Is the singing that we do here on Sunday mornings just like the preview to the movie? Is it just a buffer so that you have enough time to go get coffee and a donut? And once this whole seeing things done, the real show can begin. What is the deal with people in church singing songs? Today, I want to look at this incident in the life of David and draw some conclusions about the kind of worship we are called to as followers of Jesus. 
David danced. The Bible says that he danced with all of his might. What would it look like to dance with all your might? Now, there has been a debate among some Christian churches about dancing. There used to be an old church adage saying, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. As a pastor, I've been asked, can Christians dance? And my answer is really simple. Some can and some can't. Okay, we can put some music on and then we can just find out. Now, whether you can or you can't, what I want to tell you is you should. There should be joy in your life and that joy should overflow. Sometimes we just need to respond to the joy and the euphoria that we're experiencing in a moment with dance. If you get a big raise, if you close a big deal, if your kid get, kicks the winning goal, if your team wins the Super Bowl, it's just natural to have a bodily response. No one in that moment has their arms crossed and they're like, yeah, I did something good there. No, no, it, it doesn't matter who you are. Sometimes you just gotta dance. Like the people that you are seeing on the screen right now, there should be the sound of life, the sound of music and dancing emanating from your life and from this church. Now, I am not advocating for all of us to just dance down the aisles on every song that we play on Sundays, but there should be a measure of extravagance in our worship. Now, at our church in person, if you've noticed, worship is a high priority for us. It's roughly 50% of our church service every weekend. At times, it's even more. So why? What's the big deal? There is something beautiful and holy about coming together each weekend in worship. We experience God together. Now, experiences of God cannot be planned or achieved. They are spontaneous moments of grace, almost accidental, says the ancient rabbis. Uh, ancient rabbinic student asked, well, if God realization is just accidental, why do we work so hard doing spiritual practices like worship? And the rabbi responds, to be as accident prone as possible. I agree. Part of why we do worship is to create space for God to move in our hearts. If you are new to church, we really try to make it clear that our worship band is not doing a performance. They're not putting on a show. This is our hearts being poured out to God. And then the lighting and the lyrics and the volume, all of this is to help us praise God. And we don't need all this to praise Him. We could praise Him on our front lawn, in our living room, with no instruments at all. But there is a measure of extravagance to love. William Barclay says this, love does not neatly calculate the less or the more. It is not concerned to see how little it can decently give. If it gave all it had, if indeed it gave all the world, the gift would still be too little. There is a certain recklessness in love which refuses to count the cost. Love is not love if it's neatly calculated. 
That's why when we truly love someone, we would climb the highest mountain, we would swim the deepest ocean. The more extravagant the gift, the more exuberant the response. Let's go back to Dancing David, verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. Notice here that David's worship was connected to generosity. His worship was connected to blessing others. It wasn't just a supernatural encounter that blessed him, but the experience itself invoked a response of generosity. Your giving is connected to worship. And we don't talk about money a lot here at Prodigal, but I just want to pause and say thank you. Thank you for your generosity to our church. We know that for so many people, they have a religious allergy to the church and money. Okay, we know that. We understand that. And we don't ever want to come across as like people who want your money. And so often, we just stay away from the topic altogether. But what that does unintentionally is, is that it doesn't celebrate the generous people that make everything that we do possible. Your sacrifice is a blessing for God's people. Your sacrifice, your worship, isn't just for you. It is an offering of hope, an offering of help here and on the other side of the world. So thank you so much for giving regularly to Prodigal Church. Your act of worship is making a huge difference. And so the parade is over. David gets home. What happens next? Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household. Okay, so it's not enough for David to just bless the nation. He wants to bless his home as well. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of, of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me to rule over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. I will become even more undignified than this. I hearken back to the great David Crowder band song from the early 2000s. Now, in ancient Israel, the nation had kind of delegated the dancing to the servants. Okay, so this is, the context is helpful here. And so in the patriarchal class system, David, the king of Israel, he's on top. And he is dumbing himself down to the riffraff. He's acting like a servant. And for a king to do this, well, that's scandalous. And then the paparazzi snapped all the pictures that they could take. Here is the most powerful man in the kingdom, taking off his royal robes, Wearing a tank top, boxer shorts, and a hat looking like Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation. It seems to me that King David is sending a message to the nation. 
It is not about how we look or who we are. It's about who he is. God is good and God is here, so I gotta dance. Now, I'm not saying we have to dance every time we worship, but I am saying that the same joy and gratitude that moves our feet also moves our spirit. And worship is not boring. Sometimes I just gotta dance. And when I look up at the night sky and I remember that the planets are perpetually dancing and that the earth is perpetually dancing around the sun and the moon is connected to the ocean tide, there's this cosmic dance. God is a cosmic choreographer. And it's macro and it's micro. Just look under a microscope. Little cells, what are they doing? They're dancing. Look at a telescope, what are the planets doing? They're spinning. There is movement. Look at the trees, look at the waves. Everything is dancing. There is a reason that the Psalms never tell us that when we worship, we should look stoic with our arms crossed. I just don't know where we got the idea that worshiping the God of the universe should be careful and cautious and contained. There is something to David's abandonment to the Lord. It's beautiful. Mikal thought that royalty doesn't mix with people. Royalty should be dignified. David was undignified. As followers of Jesus, why do we just toe tap the water when we should be diving in with our clothes on, we should be belly flopping hard into the deep end? Singing and dancing, that's what salvation sounds like. The movement of your body, the sound of music, the sound of dancing. I love that song that we sang earlier. Come on my soul, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song, cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Now, I'm getting fired up about this. There is this foundational story of our church and it is the parable of the prodigal son found in Luke 15. I have read this story hundreds of times. I have preached on it dozens of times. And this week in preparation, I saw something in the story that I'd never seen before. Many of you are familiar with the parable. It is a story about a father with two sons. The rebellious son says to his dad, give me my inheritance now, essentially saying, dad, I wish you were dead. So then his dad liquefied everything and gave him his portion of the estate. And the younger son spends it on lavish living. He ends up destitute in the gutter, no one giving him anything. He was feeding pigs and the garbage that he was feeding the pigs eventually became desirable to him. And the Bible says he came to his senses. I should go back to my dad. So he begins the long walk home. And this dad, his father, missed him. His father has been missing a piece of who he is ever since his boy left. And the father had been staring out towards the horizon every day, longing for the return of the prodigal son. And then he sees his boy. And while he was still a long way off, he ran to him. He couldn't contain himself. In that culture, wealthy patriarchs were never to run. 
Servants do that. People are watching. He's making himself a fool. Why do you run after the son who deserted you? And then the father embraces him and he kisses him. Why? Love. He put on his boy, his robe. He put his signet ring on him and then he throws a party. Why? Because my son was lost, but now he's found. And the father, like King David, was willing to become undignified out of love. And later that night, the older brother, the one who never left, the one who took care of things while the younger son ran away partying, the older brother is out in the field, Luke 15. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. What did he hear? Music and dancing. That was the new insight. I love that. That's what salvation sounds like. Music and dancing. Here on a Sunday morning service, I don't dance all that often. Why? Because it's weird, right? Someone dancing up and down the aisles at church. Uh, many years ago, I was at a worship conference and I saw this guy dancing during worship and I thought to myself, well, I think he's just showing off. Distracting people from really engaging with God. And his dancing was like, like, like a Russian river dance. And my mind immediately went all judgmental on him, okay? Because he looked ridiculous. And then a couple years later, I was in my office late night. No one was around. I was listening to some worship music. Some music was fast, some was slow, and I was just happy in God's presence. I remember smiling. I remember starting to jump, starting to sing, starting to dance. And I don't even know the moves I was doing. I was just flowing with the spirit. And about halfway through this dance party in my office, I realized that the very dance I was doing was the very same that that man was doing at that conference. I was doing the Russian river dance. Sometimes you just gotta dance. There is an extravagance to worship. And so I want to get real practical here. When we raise our hands in worship, we are saying a few things. We are enacting with our bodies what is happening to our spirit. This happens in worship. Body and spirit are intertwined in hallelujah. Raising our hands is the universal sign for surrender. So in raising our hands in worship, we're surrendering our lives to Jesus. And also, whenever I come home from work and my kids, when they were little, they would run up to me with their arms open, wanting to be embraced by their father. Sometimes when we worship and we raise our hands, it is, I surrender. You take control. Sometimes when we raise our hands in worship, it's, I want to be embraced by my Father. Some of us have had our baby toe in the shallow end of the pool for a long time, and it is time to cannonball into the deep end. Barbara Brown Taylor was a pastor, and in her book, Leaving Church, she writes about this one time at a backyard church barbecue. After my supper had settled, 
I wandered down to the pool where I watched swimming children splitting beams of underwater light with their bodies. I had baptized many of them. And I loved seeing them all shrieking and paddling around together in one big pool. Suddenly to my right, there was a deeper yell, the sound of scrabbling feet on cement, and then a large plop as a fully clothed adult landed in the water. I stood back and watched the mayhem that ensued. All around me, people were grabbing people and wrestling them toward the water. The dark night air was full of pool spray and laughter. The kids were going crazy. Several people hunting for potential victims turned toward me, their faces lit with smiles. When they saw who I was, they turned away again so that I felt sad instead of glad. Whatever changes were occurring inside of me, I still looked waterproof to them. Like the sick man in John's Gospel who lay by the pool of Beth Zatha for 38 years because he had no one to put him in the water when the water stirred up. I watched others plunging in ahead of me. Then two strong hands grabbed my upper arms from behind, and before I knew it, I was in the water, fully immersed and swimming in light. I never found out who my savior was, but when I broke the surface, I looked around at all those shining people with makeup running down their cheeks, with hair plastered to their heads, and I was so happy to be one of them. If being ordained meant being set apart from them, then I did not want to be ordained anymore. I wanted to be human. I wanted to spit food and let snot run down my chin. I wanted to confess being as lost and found as anyone else without caring that my underwear showed through my wet clothes. Bobbing in that healing pool with all those other flawed beings of light, I looked around and saw them as I had never seen them before while some of them looked at me the same way. The long wait had come to an end. I was in the water at last. I love the way that Taylor plays with the motif of baptism here. Water is integral to life, to new birth. There is no new life without passing through the waters, like the Hebrews marching through the Red Sea as God parted them. In the New Testament, there is no new life without joining Jesus in the watery grave. Christianity is the religion of going through, not around. And no matter what you're going through, Jesus goes with you. I'm not saying you gotta dance, but the overwhelming joy that comes from our life in Christ, from his presence in our life, our body should be doing something. What can a child really give to their father? My son Dex, he can't really give me anything of value. I've given him everything he has. The only thing that he can give me is gratitude. And the only thing he can really do is live a life outside of my presence that reflects his relationship with me. The only thing that we can do for God is when we're not in church. Because when we've been with him, we reflect our relationship with him to the other people around us. Worship is so much more than just a song, but it is certainly not less. And so we're going to show our gratitude by singing our gratitude.
Cause all that I have is love